The Desire of Ages, Chapter 9 Days of Conflict From its earliest years, the Jewish child was surrounded with the requirements of the rabbis. Rigid rules were prescribed for every act down to the smallest details of life. Under the synagogue teachers, the youth were instructed in the countless regulations, which as Orthodox Israelites, they were expected to observe. But Jesus did not interest himself in these matters. From childhood, he acted independently of the rabbinical laws. The scriptures of the Old Testament were his constant study, and the words, Thus saith the Lord, were ever upon his lips. As the condition of the people began to open to his mind, he saw that the requirements of society and the requirements of God were in constant collision. Men were departing from the word of God and exalting theories of their own invention. They were observing traditional rites that possessed no virtue. Their service was a mere round of ceremonies. The sacred truths it was designed to teach were hidden from the worshippers. He saw that in their faithless services they found no peace. They did not know the freedom of spirit that would come to them by serving God in truth. Jesus had come to teach the meaning of the worship of God and he could not sanction the mingling of human requirements with the divine precepts. He did not attack the precepts or practices of the learned teachers, but when we proved for his own simple habits, he presented the word of God in justification of his conduct. In every gentle and submissive way, Jesus tried to please those with whom he came in contact. Because he was so gentle and unobtrusive, the scribes and elders supposed that he would be easily influenced by their teaching. They urged him to receive the maxims and traditions that had been handed down from the ancient rabbis, but he asked for their authority in holy writ. He would hear every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, but he could not obey the inventions of men. Jesus seemed to know the scriptures from beginning to end and he presented them in their true import. The rabbis were ashamed to be instructed by a child. They claimed that it was their office to explain the scriptures and that it was his place to accept their interpretation. They were indignant that he should stand in opposition to their word. They knew that no authority could be found in scripture for their traditions. They realized that in spiritual understanding, Jesus was far in advance of them. Yet they were angry because he did not obey their dictates. Failing to convince him, they sought Joseph and Mary and set before them his cause of non-compliance. Thus he suffered rebuke and censure. At a very early age, Jesus had begun to act for himself in the formation of his character and not even respect and love for his parents could turn him from obedience to God's word. It is written was his reason for every act that varied from the family customs. But the influence of the rabbis made his life a bitter one. 
Even in his youth, he had to learn the hard lesson of silence and patient endurance. His brothers, as the sons of Joseph were called, sided with the rabbis. They insisted that the traditions must be heeded as if they were the requirements of God. They even regarded the precepts of men more highly than the word of God. And they were greatly annoyed at the clear penetration of Jesus in distinguishing between the false and the true. His strict obedience to the law of God they condemned as stubbornness. They were surprised at the knowledge and wisdom he showed in answering the rabbis. They knew that he had not received instruction from the wise men, yet they could not but see that he was an instructor to them. They recognized that his education was of a higher type than their own, but they did not discern that he had access to the tree of life, a source of knowledge of which they were ignorant. Christ was not exclusive, and he had given special offense to the Pharisees by departing in this respect from their rigid rules. He found the domain of religion fenced in by high walls of seclusion as too sacred a matter for everyday life. These walls of partition he overthrew. In his contact with men, he did not ask, What is your creed? To what church do you belong? He exercised his helping power in behalf of all who needed help. Instead of secluding himself in a hermit's cell in order to show his heavenly character, he labored earnestly for humanity. He inculcated the principle that Bible religion does not consist in the mortification of the body, he taught that pure and undefiled religion is not meant only for set times and special occasions. At all times and in all places, he manifested a loving interest in men and shed about him the light of a cheerful piety. All this was a rebuke to the Pharisees. It showed that religion does not consist in selfishness and that their morbid devotion to personal interest was far from being true godliness. This had roused their enmity against Jesus so that they tried to enforce his conformity to their regulations. Jesus worked to relieve every case of suffering that he saw. He had little money to give, but he often denied himself of food in order to relieve those who appeared more needy than he. His brothers felt that his influence went far to counteract theirs. He possessed a tact which none of them had or desired to have. When they spoke harshly to poor degraded beings, Jesus sought out these very ones and spoke to them words of encouragement. To those who were in need, he would give a cup of cold water and would quietly place his own meal in their hands. As he relieved their sufferings, the truths he taught were associated with his acts of mercy and were thus riveted in the memory. All this displeased his brothers. Being older than Jesus, they felt that he should be under their dictation. They charged him with thinking himself superior to them 
and reproved him for setting himself above their teachers and the priests and rulers of the people. Often they threatened and tried to intimidate him, but he passed on, making the scriptures his guide. Jesus loved his brothers and treated them with unfailing kindness, but they were jealous of him and manifested the most decided unbelief and contempt. They could not understand his conduct. Great contradictions presented themselves in Jesus. He was the divine Son of God, and yet a helpless child. The creator of the worlds, the earth was his possession, and yet poverty marked his life experience at every step. He possessed a dignity and individuality wholly distinct from earthly pride and assumption. He did not strive for worldly greatness, and in even the lowliest position, he was content. This angered his brothers. They could not account for his constant serenity under trial and deprivation. They did not know that for our sake, he had become poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. They could understand the mystery of his mission no more than the friends of Job could understand his humiliation and suffering. Jesus was misunderstood by his brothers because he was not like them. His standard was not their standard. In looking to men, they had turned away from God, and they had not his power in their lives. The forms of religion which they observed could not transform the character. They paid tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. The example of Jesus was to them a continual irritation. He hated but one thing in the world, and that was sin. He could not witness a wrong act without pain, which it was impossible to disguise. Between the formalists, whose sanctity of appearance concealed the love of sin, and a character in which zeal for God's glory was always paramount, the contrast was unmistakable. Because the life of Jesus condemned evil, he was opposed both at home and abroad. His unselfishness and integrity were commented on with a sneer. His forbearance and kindness were termed cowardice. Of the bitterness that falls to the lot of humanity, there was no part which Christ did not taste. There were those who tried to cast contempt upon him because of his birth, and even in his childhood he had to meet their scornful looks and evil whisperings. If he had responded by an impatient word or look, if he had conceded to his brothers by even one wrong act, he would have failed of being a perfect example. Thus he would have failed of carrying out the plan for our redemption. Had he even admitted that there could be an excuse for sin, 
Satan would have triumphed and the world would have been lost. This is why the tempter worked to make his life as trying as possible, that he might be led to sin. But to every temptation he had one answer. It is written. He rarely rebuked any wrongdoing of his brothers, but he had a word of God to speak to them. Often he was accused of cowardice for refusing to unite with them in some forbidden act, but his answer was, It is written, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. There were some who sought his society, feeling at peace in his presence, but many avoided him because they were rebuked by his stainless life. Young companions urged him to do as they did. He was bright and cheerful. They enjoyed his presence and welcomed his ready suggestions. But they were impatient at his scruples and pronounced him narrow and straight-laced. Jesus answered, It is written, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Often he was asked, Why are you bent on being so singular, so different from us all? It is written, he said, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. When questioned why he did not join in the frolics of the youth of Nazareth, he said, It is written, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Jesus did not contend for his rights. Often his work was made unnecessarily severe because he was willing and uncomplaining. Yet he did not fail nor become discouraged. He lived above these difficulties as if in the light of God's countenance. He did not retaliate when roughly used, but bore insult patiently. Again and again he was asked, Why do you submit to such despiteful usage even from your brothers. It is written, he said, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God end man. From the time when the parents of Jesus found him in the temple, his course of action was a mystery to them. He would not enter into controversy, yet his example was a constant lesson. He seemed to be as one who was set apart. His hours of happiness were found when alone with nature and with God. Whenever it was his privilege, he turned aside from the scene of his labor to go into the fields, to meditate in the green valleys, 
to hold communion with God on the mountainside or amid the trees of the forest. The early morning often found him in some secluded place, meditating, searching the scriptures, or in prayer. From these quiet hours, he would return to his home to take up his duties again and give an example of patient toil. The life of Christ was marked with respect and love for his mother. Mary believed in her heart that the holy child born of her was the long-promised Messiah. Yet she dared not express her faith. Throughout his life on earth, she was a partaker in his sufferings. She witnessed with sorrow the trials brought upon him in his childhood and youth. By her vindication of what she knew to be right in his conduct, she herself was brought into trying positions. She looked upon the associations of the home and the mother's tender watch care over her children as of vital importance in the formation of character. The sons and daughters of Joseph knew this, and by appealing to her anxiety, they tried to correct the practices of Jesus according to their standard. Mary often remonstrated with Jesus and urged him to conform to the usages of the rabbis, but he could not be persuaded to change his habits of contemplating the works of God and seeking to alleviate the suffering of men or even of dumb animals. When the priests and teachers required Mary's aid in controlling Jesus, she was greatly troubled. But peace came to her heart as he presented the statements of Scripture upholding his practices. At times she wavered between Jesus and his brothers who did not believe that he was the sent of God. But evidence was abundant that his was a divine character. She saw him sacrificing himself for the good of others. His presence brought a purer atmosphere into the home and his life was as leaven working amid the elements of society. Harmless and undefiled, he walked among the thoughtless, the rude, the uncourteous, amid the unjust publicans, the reckless prodigals, the unrighteous Samaritans, the heathen soldiers, the rough peasants, and the mixed multitude. He spoke a word of sympathy here and a word there as he saw men weary yet compelled to bear heavy burdens. He shared their burdens and repeated to them the lessons he had learned from nature of the love, the kindness, the goodness of God. He taught all to look upon themselves as endowed with precious talents which, if rightly employed, would secure for them eternal riches. He weeded all vanity from life, and by his own example taught that every moment of time is fraught with eternal results, that it is to be cherished as a treasure and to be employed for holy purposes. He passed by no human being as worthless, but sought to apply the saving remedy to every soul. In whatever company he found himself, he presented a lesson that was appropriate to the time and circumstances. He sought to inspire with hope the most rough and unpromising, 
setting before them the assurance that they might become blameless and harmless, attaining such a character as would make them manifest as the children of God. Often he met those who had drifted under Satan's control and who had no power to break from his snare. To such a one, discouraged, sick, tempted and fallen, Jesus would speak words of tenderest pity, words that were needed and could be understood. Others he met who were fighting a hand-to-hand -hand battle with the adversary of souls. These he encouraged to persevere, assuring them that they would win, for angels of God were on their side and would give them the victory. Those whom he thus helped were convinced that here was one in whom they could trust with perfect confidence. He would not betray the secrets they poured into his sympathizing ear. Jesus was the healer of the body as well as of the soul. He was interested in every phase of suffering that came under his notice, and to every sufferer he brought relief his kind words having a soothing balm. None could say that he had worked a miracle, but virtue, the healing power of love, went out from him to the sick and distressed. Thus, in an unobtrusive way, he worked for the people from his very childhood, and this was why, after his public ministry began, so many heard him gladly. Yet, through childhood, youth, and manhood, Jesus walked alone. In his purity and his faithfulness, he trod the winepress alone. And of the people, there was none with him. He carried the awful weight of responsibility for the salvation of men. He knew that unless there was a decided change in the principles and purposes of the human race, all would be lost. This was the burden of his soul, and none could appreciate the weight that rested upon him. Filled with intense purpose, he carried out the design of his life, that he himself should be the light of men.